0: Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, I welcome back to the podcast, Michelle Sexmith, Senior Vice President and Practice Leader, Retail, Real Estate, and Entertainment Sectors, and Veronix Analytics. We catch up after a tumultuous year in retail that has shaken up where and how consumers shop and how retailers see their future, and how through updated segmentation, mobile data, and geofencing, Michelle is helping retailers understand the new competitive realities of the COVID era. Next, we talk about their all-new Vaccine Insights data, which overlays attitudes around vaccines on top of their consumer and geographic segmentation better to understand the hesitancy and possible trouble spots and solutions.
1: We do see that the, uh, the regional malls um, are uh, starting to trend up um, in some areas. Uh, we're seeing the power centers uh, starting to trend uh, up as we see the restrictions start to ease. We can see certain areas of the, the country where uh, that behavior is uh, starting to
0: be displayed. Let's listen in now. Michelle, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Michael.
0: How are you? It's so great for you to join uh, me again, and, and we'll do some shit and the chat. A little bit has happened since the last time we spoke, so it is again, it's a great opportunity to uh, to catch up. And and for the folks who perhaps didn't uh, hear any of our previous interviews, why don't we start at the beginning? Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your role at Inveronic's Analytics, and then we'll talk about uh, Inveronic's Analytics and and that. But let's start with a little bit about you and what you do.
1: Okay. Well, in terms, uh, it's Michelle Sexsmith. I'm Senior Vice President and Practice Leader for our retail and real estate practice at Environics Analytics. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the company, uh, we provide uh, a lot of data to help the industry with data-driven decision-making, whether that's around uh, demographics and lifestyles of consumers or whether that's around their digital behaviors to help them to acquire more customers. So we help the uh, the whole retail industry with Uh, site location, where should bricks and mortar stores uh, be located to help with uh, understanding e-commerce customers and what that means for marketing, uh, to uh, helping with uh, understanding changing consumer behaviors um, as they evolve on a continuing basis, which seems to be the world we're
0: living in. I remember our last conversation about trying to understand changing consumer patterns, but we've never quite seen anything like this. And, And you've been in this business uh, you know, like myself, a long time. I'm, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine the scale of the changes. But at the same time, I think some of these changes may be um, more temporary than permanent. And I really want to get into that with you because I think through your insights and data, you can help us all understand or at least begin to understand movement and patterns and, and what may or may not uh, be static. But, you know, as I said, a lot has happened. So, so what, do you, what have you observed? Just then let me start at a high level. I mean, you, you, as I said, you've been in the retail industry, a partner for retail for, for many, many years. What have, what have you just observing around consumer behavior and, and uh, in the COVID era? And, and it's your opinion. Now, we're not to data yet, but we'll get there. What's your opinion around, you know, what, what do you think has changed and what do you think might be changed for the foreseeable future?
1: Well, we've certainly seen that uh, consumer patterns with uh, so many people working from home, it t- continues to be about a third of the population. Um, so we've been tracking uh, that behavior to get an idea of where people are shopping, uh, to understand uh, what banners they're going to, uh, to understand how their expenditures are changing uh, throughout this entire time frame. Um, so with uh, our small uh, neighborhood level uh, demographics, lifestyle expenditures, uh, we've been able Able to see uh, all of those patterns evolve over time. Um, early in the pandemic, we saw that uh, there were smaller trade areas. Consumers were clearly much more focused on getting into a, a retail location, doing a destination shop if they possibly could, and uh, then getting right back home. Um, and as restrictions have gone through different easing, we've seen that uh, opportunity. We can see a lot of pent-up demand uh, where consumers want to be able to get out and shop for uh, a wide range of uh, goods and services. And when that's allowed, we can see that uh, they certainly want to uh, be able to shop the way they used to. Um, and obviously, with uh, the more recent uh, restrictions, um, we see that you know coming back a bit and going back to that destination shop Uh, But it's certainly been a a changing landscape. Uh, There's been a lot of growth, obviously, in e-commerce. But at the same time, I think consumers are really starting to understand that there's certain categories of goods. They're happy to shop in that uh, e-commerce world. And there's other cases where they'd much prefer to be back in the stores and being able to touch and feel merchandise and make decisions and understand quality and all that full uh, store experience is something that they're missing.
0: And and when you look at customer data you also look at a full spectrum so for example there's been a tremendous shift of food consumption out of restaurants into grocery so you would be able to capture that in your in your in your data right that broader view I'm curious if um you know you refresh your segmentation model prism uh, I think I I'm I'm I think you refresh it almost every year. Um, it, do you see this as a major refresh this year in behavior? I guess I'm still kind of trying to pull on that thread of, of is the behaviors or other, are, are the behaviors enough, sustainably enough, as in going to sustain uh, behavior that you might adapt the prism model or, or are those kind of fixed on, on lifestyle and life stage more than what they're, do- what they're doing on a day to day level?
1: Well, we certainly look at the changes in the prism structure um, overall. So, there's a lot of change that go on in households, and these are these take time uh, to be able to um, uh, to, to evolve uh, over a period of time. So, for instance, the. Um, that the condo living uh, young uh, households within Toronto or any Mm -hmm. major market, really uh, we've seen that growth. Uh, We continue to see that growth uh, going forward. Uh, We know that there's a pattern where when, you know, consumers try to, or when uh, families expand and think about uh, the, uh, you know, children within the household and the needs that way we do see a movement into more suburban uh, types of markets And that's an ongoing change. I think... Covid has sped that up to uh, some degree. Uh, we certainly see uh, a little bit more migration uh, to uh, more more housing. We can see that in the uh, the real estate housing uh, increases in home values and um, the demand across uh, the market. Um, but in general, uh, these are they're still within the normal range. I mean, there's you know s- some increase in those movement patterns, but not wholesale changes. Uh, these are big decisions for consumers to make. It takes time. Uh, very often there's two income households. And so it's trying to figure out what's the right move for a particular household, a particular family structure. Um, and so it does take time to, uh, for those changes to take place. Having said that, uh, we are uh, going to be releasing later this month uh, the uh, PRISM 2021 uh, estimates for every neighborhood across the country, uh, and all of that's tied to the nearly million residential postal codes uh, so that anybody can see what's the impact in their local market, how has that local trading area changed, and what does that mean for things like merchandise mix um, and uh, the, the, the different lifestyle types and the expenditures that they Represent uh, to help to assess that market potential at the store level.
0: I guess the first step in your journey of looking at those is is the data, uh, probably the first and first through you know ninety But is there ad- attitudinal shifts that also could take place? I mean, th- this sudden move from I'm going to work at home, so I want different things because my life now is different. And and do you perceive perhaps down the road that there could be attitudinal shifts around? you know, downtowns around going into cities versus a more positive vibe around where they live in suburbs, for example, I'm just kind of making that up as an example. But is that kind of captured in how you think about your segmentation as well as as just the data that informs it?
1: Well, I think it's the proportion of each lifestyle type within each market that does change. So the, um, Hmm. you know, Latte Life is an example of that, you know, downtown type of young single or couple uh, that like that downtown verve. Um, You know, they like to be able to go for a walk, have their coffee, experience everything in the downtown core. And uh, so that certainly, uh, that interest is still there within the market. Um, and some of those lifestyle types are, you know, very happy to shop um, as soon as restrictions lift. Um, but we also know that there's other consumers that mm-hmm. are thinking, you know what, maybe it's time for that, you know, major change that we were thinking about anyway. And maybe have sped up some of that decision making yeah. to think about their housing and where they want to move to and so that's uh, captured in that uh, new release so that everyone can see where where they're moving and uh how the mix has changed uh, at any specific location um sorry some of the things we've seen in terms of general expenditure change or just demand on the market um i think everyone is starting to understand things like home improvement uh you know someone may decide they're going to stay in their household wherever that may be an urban location a suburban location but they're realizing that their physical space isn't really optimal for spending so much time at home Um, and so uh, many consumers are thinking about how do they make that home that place of comfort uh, that place where they've got room for all of the activities whether it's you know a proper work from home space or whether it's uh, separate areas for the kids to be able to play uh, to um You know, being able to, you know, undertake some of that, uh, you know, fitness and sort of have a designated area for that. So there's been a lot of focus on making those home improvements that really make uh, home the place that they want to uh, be able to stay and where they're happy with that, uh, that full framework and it meets all of the needs of everyone within the household.
0: Well you've talked a couple of times about uh, data let's let's dig in uh, so talk about the tools that you have to leverage to help retailers understand I mean you I think you you leverage a lot of mobile data so let's let's talk about that what are you know the complexities to understanding mobile ser- uh, data sources and and what are you enabled or what are you able to tell retailers about how you know this work from home is changing brand preference or store preference because we know there's a lot of changes happening in how people make decisions, not just where they work, of course, uh, if they're working at home, but also where they shop and perhaps who they shop from. Talk about that for a bit.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, So the mobile movement data, this is based on uh, permission-based mobile movement uh, patterns. And we've been working with this type of data uh, for several years to understand uh, who's shopping at different locations. Um, And so this allows us to identify where consumers are in terms of, you know, do they have a common daytime location so that we can track which ones are working, you know, in their traditional uh, workplace versus those that are working Mm -hmm. from home and we know the common evening location for those consumers so that we can also uh, have an idea of the uh, demographics of the neighborhoods uh, to understand uh, their media preferences to understand uh, the types of expenditures that they make uh, in that full range of retail whether it's Home improvement or groceries or uh, home furnishings, any of those elements are part of the, the data that we have uh, that can be uh, tied into uh, to that consumer type. Uh, so that helps us to understand how those patterns are changing. So, since the the data is refreshed in a near real time way, it allows us to see you know what this neighborhood is you know uh-huh. shopping uh-huh. Uh, in our, on a regular basis, whereas this other neighborhood, uh, because of the pandemic changes, um, is is more locked at home and staying uh, at home and doing less shopping. Uh, So we can see this information basically week by week, month by month. And it's been really uh, a key element to understand uh, consumer behaviors and how they're responding uh, at different stages uh, uh, overall. So um, any time restrictions are lifted, uh, when it's been safe to do so, we've been able to see, okay... These are where consumers now are changing uh, their patterns. Instead of just shopping maybe in grocery, now we're starting to see them uh, to shop at uh, power centers or other types of retail locations. Um, And uh, we can uh, really see how how that uptick is is starting to happen in certain areas. Um, And uh, and because and in part of the work that we've done with that mobile movement data is to actually geofence all of the retail locations across the entire country. So whether it's a, a shopping center, mm. whether it's a strip plaza, mm. uh, whether it's an individual retailer, um, it's possible to use the physical four walls of that shopping node and to understand then how how large is that trade area for that retail node uh, to be able to see the age distribution, the income levels, the family structure of the consumer types that are traveling uh, to that uh, retail node. and. And to understand is the shop, is the uh, trade area itself, is it changing? Is it smaller? Is it getting larger? Or does it uh, consist of a different consumer type than maybe what it did two years ago?
0: So it's almost like someone has kind of scrambled up the chessboard halfway through the game. I mean, you've got not only, a, particularly Ontario, Quebec, um, some places more than others, but you've got more folks work at home. I mean, right now we're talking in April and, and we're at a stay at home order. So, you know, you have a lot of people in the suburbs. Give me an example of what a retailer might be able to query. You know, I guess they would be curious. Let's say you're a shopper of their brand and you typically bought, and this is not atypical, right? You typically bought close to where you worked. Maybe you lived in the suburbs, worked downtown. I guess they're trying, would try to figure out if there's migration. Are they just coming back to you? In the suburbs, are they now, you know, trying other brands? Are you able to detect kind of like models in your competition and kind of build, um, build against that?
1: Um, it's certainly possible to look at uh, things like, uh, say, loyalists versus churners uh, in the marketplace. So um, because of the um, the kind of hashed IDs uh, that we work with uh, for privacy compliance, uh, we can still get a sense that there's a certain consumer type that maybe is uh, shopping competitor locations within the same category. Uh, so, you know, within, say, Home Improvement, uh, which banners are they going to is Is it the same banner that they were going to a year ago or is it the lifestyle type of a banner that is now shifting its behavior and going to uh, a competitor Um, or is it a lifestyle type that uh, we don't even see within that sector anymore which probably indicates that they're doing more uh, in e-commerce so it's possible to see uh, Mm -hmm. you know which consumers are out there shopping uh, what their types are like um, whether it's consistent year over year, um, and to be able to see if there's cross-shopping behavior that's going on uh, where uh, we can see that uh, this consumer type is going from this store to another store within that same category and, uh, and represents possibly an at-risk type of consumer uh, type for that, uh, for that specific banner. Um, So that gives the retailer that ability to understand who their best shoppers are, uh, those consumers' uh, types that are at risk of uh, possibly going to the competition. And then they can start to uh, tie in uh, other data around the media preferences of those consumers or their attitudes and mindset uh, to understand how they should communicate differentially uh, to each of those consumer types. So loyalists, they may have very one set of messages, uh, that they can deploy through uh, digital uh, or traditional media, and uh, those consumers that are at risk, uh, they might want to pursue a very different messaging strategy. Uh, maybe much more, uh, you know, focused on price if that's the uh, key motivator for that cross-shopping behavior, or it could even be, uh, you know, just understanding or communicating that range of merchandise if that's the, the characteristics of that consumer, and that's the driver for why they're uh, shopping uh, within uh, that competitive landscape. Um, So this can be done at a store-by-store level or it can be done across the entire banner uh, since all of those uh, banners are geofenced and you can look at the trends on a a much broader basis across a market, across a province, or even across the entire country uh, to see what the trends are and uh, how that shopper profile is changing over time.
0: Do you think or have you seen in the data, you know, I, I think about, you know, suburban malls, you know, your, your regional malls. And I think with so many people working from home, and, and I think that might persist to some degree post-COVID, this could be a second life for, for these small malls. Do you see anything in the data that would point you in that direction?
1: um we do see that the uh, the regional malls um are uh, starting to trend up um in some areas uh we're seeing the power centers uh, starting to trend uh up um again this is so dependent on restrictions at this stage um but um as we see uh the restrictions start to ease we can see certain areas of the the country where uh, that behavior is uh, starting to be displayed uh, so for mm-hmm. instance um, the atlantic region uh, they've had fewer cases traditionally and uh, we can see that yeah. uh, there's been a higher level of shopping and we can actually identify uh, which um, types of centers uh, are increasing in that activity um, and so that provides some really great indicators uh, to understand understand the trends in a market that's uh, had uh, more flexibility and that can help us to better anticipate what's going to happen um, as, you know, restrictions start to ease hopefully soon uh, in places like uh, Ontario and other uh, areas across the country.
0: Well, it's almost like you've got a giant control group within Canada, right? With the Atlantic bubble, it's it's must be so interesting for you as a data, as a person so steeped in data. Let's the uh, last kind of couple of questions. You 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 know, obviously, um, you talked about uh, our lives today, and one of the things that that takes up a fair bit of thought us personally is the vaccine, and as retailers think about getting back to normal, and then and the need for the vaccine, and and we also turn our minds to vaccine hesitancy. Uh, We see in the United States, for example, that retailers are offering incentives to their employees, like financial incentives to get the vaccine. And you're starting to do some work on that. You've got some what I I think it's called vaccine insights. Tell me a little bit about what you're learning and and, uh, what we can understand from that data.
1: Uh, We've just released uh, that information. So uh, last week, it's based on a survey uh, that was uh, fielded in the middle of March uh, to identify uh, consumer attitudes around getting the vaccine uh, to be able to classify those into those that are uh, that do want to get it versus those that are sitting on the fence a bit more hesitant uh, versus those that really do not intend to get the vaccine for a variety of reasons. And Mm -hmm. so we're working with uh, two different data partners uh, on this, and one of them really looks at the cognitive factors around uh, that vaccine hesitancy um, so that they've seen correlations then between those that are hesitant with maybe lack of scientific knowledge, uh, belief in conspiracy theories um, and so that mm. ties into understanding those those prism types uh, because we've tied that uh, survey information back to that framework to understand the 67 lifestyle types and so now we know which ones really are hesitant which ones are happy to get on board and get the vaccine as quickly as possible as because they see that as the the means that we all get out of this uh, faster and get back to right. uh, a sort of more normal life I was gonna say whatever
0: whatever the new normal looks like, yeah.
1: yes, we're all anxious to see what the new normal looks like and I imagine we're going to go through a few versions of that before we truly settle in Um, but some of the things that we've found fascinating as we've looked at this data is that um, it's not uh, as straightforward as as you might hope for, I guess Um, you know, in urban areas we can see there's some hesitancy in uh, lower income or lower education uh, types of uh, Canadians, so you know that. It relates to looking at where are those pockets and how do we get better communication going on in those pockets to understand um, the the safety uh, or the other elements that they're concerned about with the vaccine. Um, and we even find uh, some variability in surprising ways. Um, one of them that we've looked at, uh, turbo burbs is an example of. Uh, quite affluent, uh, suburban population. Uh, these are, you know, young families. Um, but in this particular case, this, uh, specific lifestyle has, a, a, a concern or has a strong belief in conspiracy theories. So they're, they tend to be, uh, more, uh, influenced, I guess, uh, by a, a segment of the population in, uh, in, in those, uh, those theories around, you know, does vaccine cause autism? Um, Are there other kinds of, is this a big pharma play? Um, And it's really about the money, those kinds of elements. And so uh, appeasing their concerns around this, we need to be respectful of their personal beliefs around this, but we can start to message to them differently uh, in order to help them to get confidence in the vaccine and what it's going to mean for their families, what it's going to mean for society overall. All. Um, and in this particular case, this is a segment that really wants personal control um, and rejects authority. So just telling them, just do it because this is what should happen, is just not going to work. <laughs> right. um, it does take a very mm-hmm. different type of message uh, to help them to see that this has a, a personal benefit uh, for them and, uh, and to consider that whole family structure. So, you know, maybe those personal stories of uh, people that have had covid can be a means to be able to uh to get a higher comfort level and to understand the impacts uh of the decisions and uh and help them to you know move into a uh, more willing uh, consideration
0: so I guess like like many things it it unveal or reveals that uh, it's not just about geography it's also about life stage and that and that's where you see that segmentation right to understand where you operate and the degree of, of something like vaccine hesitancy it doesn't necessarily align to geography, but aligns more to attitudinal stuff. I mean, that's interesting. Uh, some interesting uh, results around uh, the, where it fits in your segment. Some things I expected to hear and other things uh, I didn't expect to hear. So that's uh, that's really interesting. Listen, as always, really interesting uh, to hear about uh, the, the possibilities, the tools you offer for retailers and, and, and your insights. Where can we go to learn more or get in touch?
1: Um, I'd certainly be happy to talk further. My direct line is 416 969. Two seven six zero. There's a lot of information on our website uh, www. com. Uh, so there's information on webinars on changing uh, demographic trends. Information on vaccine insights. Uh, the webinar that's later today. Um, all of our webinars are uh, available through our website uh, under. Uh, uh, the webinars resources uh, category. So it's uh, a great tool to help with understanding what's changing, what's evolving, and the the range of data that can help with the, the key decisions that all retailers need to make and, and the broader uh, industry at large um, as we work across a, a very broad range of industry sectors.
0: Well, Michelle, it's always interesting uh, to have you on board. And, and thanks again for taking the time to speak with me. I wish you uh, continued success and continued. Uh, it must be a very interesting time for you uh, watching the data move the way it does. It's not like it's little increments, man. It, it is moving around. So I'm sure you've got a lot of work ahead of you, you and the team, to figure this out and help retailers understand it. But once again, thanks so much for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast.
1: Thanks, Michael. Happy to help.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Voice of Retail. Be sure and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy podcasts so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news, and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating review, as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc., and if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn, or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Until next time, stay safe, have a great week.